Two years ago, the Taliban shocked the world with the speed that they uh, regained control of Afghanistan after battling the coalition and, of course, Afghans' armed forces for the last 20 years. Now, despite the early promise from the Taliban that they would not revert to their previous policies in relation to the rights of women, that is exactly what has happened. Now, gradually, over the last two years, women have had their freedoms to study, to work and to freely move about taken away. So what is the best way for the wider world to put pressure on the Taliban to change their policies and at the same time support the women of Afghanistan? Fohunda Akbari is a Hazari woman and a postdoctoral fellow at the, uh, at the postdoctoral research fellow, rather, at the Gender, Peace and Security Centre at Monash. And she's been researching and advocating for women of Afghanistan for all her adult life. And we welcome her to the Little Wireless Programme. Congratulations on all you've done. Of course, you were already living here when the Taliban regained control of the country. Did you did you ever believe their promises about the rights of women being, uh, well, being upheld? Um, thank you, Philip, for having me and for covering and turning your spotlight on the situation of women in Afghanistan as we mark today the second anniversary of the forceful return of the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. Um, no, I did not believe and so didn't many all, um, let me say, all Afghan women uh, with a voice inside Afghanistan or outside Afghanistan that the Taliban have not changed. The promises that the Taliban made to the international community um, during the U.S.-Taliban negotiations, uh, flagging, uh, raising our red flag that the Taliban are deceiving. Um, they used uh, tactical and deceitful diplomacy to make those promises that they are going to protect women, right? But the people of Afghanistan um, have lived with the Taliban. They knew the Taliban. And they keep uh, consistently calling that the Taliban have not changed. Therefore, we do not believe that uh, what they are saying in words would practically uh, implement uh, those words in their policies. And um, as the as Kabul was taken over by Taliban forces on um, afternoon of 15th of August um, 2021, the first images uh, that were circulating and resurfacing from Afghanistan was restrictions on women. The first images were um, men and women painting, um, uh, uh, throwing white uh, uh, colors and paints on the walls wherever there was a picture of women and it was just that erosion of women that occurred symbolically, but then followed by Taliban's policies and edicts uh, since then in the last two years that restricts every aspect of women's life. Fahundra, take us through uh, the latest restrictions that have been placed on women. Um, Philip, two years, every uh, almost uh, on, uh, more than two, three edicts every month, uh, there are restrictions. 
Afghanistan is the only country in the world that girls beyond the age of 12 and even in recent months beyond the age of 10 cannot go to school. Uh, women cannot work in any sector other than healthcare sector. Uh, and even the healthcare sector, like doctors, nurses, midwives, there's a lot of restrictions imposed on this woman health worker, um, but many have left the country, uh, any opportunity they, they could find, uh, or also uh, at, at threatening uh, their life because of all these restrictions. Women cannot work for NGO. As of April this year, women cannot even work for United Nations. Um, uh, the largest uh, international footprint in Afghanistan right now is uh, the UN mission, political mission, and women cannot work for them. So women are restricted from all aspects of life and uh, the recent uh, foreign, uh, the, the United Nations cop that they acquiesce to that they have uh, they uh, because they are the authorities the Taliban are the authorities uh, they issued an edict uh, in 25th of December on the Christmas Eve last year that women cannot work for NGOs um, and then in April this year, they precisely mentioned that women cannot work for UN. So UN sent away their women workers back home at, ho at their homes, and they have abide um, abide to this, unfortunately. And and and, and there has been work being done in, uh, by the UN try to engage. I mean the policy of engagement by UN to talk to the Taliban to reform and change. But um, that is more of a wishful thinking because. Uh, the Taliban are only, not only they have not changed, but they are just getting more and more severe. And it's the international community that are following suit or the following the Taliban. And, right, and women right, are right, under right. the surveillance of a mob called the Vice and Virtue Ministry. Tell me briefly about them. The Vice and Virtue Ministry, symbolically, that's the Ministry of Women Affairs. Um, in Afghanistan, and we were proud of its achievement in the last 20 years with the women's political participation and um, and, and women's involvement in all aspects of life. And, and the Taliban changed that ministry into the Ministry of Vice and Virtue, where, where uh, authorities from the Taliban regime are uh, are dictating um, policies about um, about uh, these restrictions that they put out on women. Um, and 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 uh, members of the Taliban go out in public on daily basis um, to sort of see if the edicts are being followed, and it's the it's the uh, uh, workers from Taliban's worker from Ministry of Vice and Virtue that enforces those edicts um, uh, that restricts uh, women's fundamental human rights. You've already told us that women are permitted to work as health workers, but under the most surreal conditions. Tell me about how women are forced to, to pay men to be with them. Sorry, um, sorry, Philip, can you repeat? Well, you've pointed out that some women have been forced to pay men to be with them when they're doing their, their work. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the guardianship, the concept of uh, having a mahram with you when um, a, a woman are traveling outside their homes, they have to have a male guardian with them. And uh, Afghanistan has been at war for over 43 years. We have over 3 million widows in Afghanistan and mostly it's a woman that do work outside their homes. They're the only, the sole breadwinner for their families. And these women do not have a male guardian. 
And, and, and I have been reading, we have been interviewing and reading reports of um, women in the health worker that are hiring men from their relative friends, but they're not their immediate mahram or um, relative like their father or their brother or their husband to accompany them to go to hospital with them. And uh, the Taliban have found out about about this uh, trick that that this um, uh, uh, woman were, were adopting by now checking every mahram have, has to carry their uh, identity cards with them. So they have to prove that you're by blood relative or um, um, uh, you're married to the woman that you're walking. Going, and, and but going back to the huge scandal of female education, I understand that uh, some teaching is being done underground online. Um, yes, Afghanistan, um, uh, this is not the first time we're experiencing the brutal um, uh, gender apartheid reg regime of the Taliban. We experienced it in the 1990s. Uh, uh, many families, including my family, they were educating their daughters uh, um, underground, running uh, schools um, uh, or, or uh, in, within their family community, but also beyond uh, to to educate their daughters underground. And this is exactly another form of resistance of the people of Afghanistan. I mean, on practically on the realistic term, nobody wants their daughter to be uneducated. We're, and, going, and to, we're going to go back to the term you just used of gender apartheid shortly, but uh, what do you believe the foreign policy response to this uh, government should be? You argue that it's got to be very carefully cohesive and coordinated. Um, absolutely, Philip. Look, um, it's 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 ironic that in the year 2023, we're speaking about a country that Australia has been involved for 20 years and many other international uh, Western countries have been involved in Afghanistan for the last 20 years. And today we are speaking about the very basic rights of women are being restricted, such as going to school. So something simple as that, and 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 what is what is happening in Afghanistan in the last two years? It's a gender apartheid, and some argues that if it's even worse than apartheid, our understanding of apartheid is what happened in South Africa with the racial apartheid that was criminalized later on. But gender apartheid in Afghanistan is not is not criminalized. The international law needs to. Um, catch up with that. Um, but apartheid itself is a powerful word. Um, and using using this term, it could frame the seriousness, seriousness of the offense and, and, and the crime that are happening against women in Afghanistan that also brings in a lot of obligation on the international community, including Australia, um, as a member of international community, um, about the action that they needs to take and work they need to do. And here, I think framing it as a gender apartheid Apartheid would would compel states to become cohesive in their approach toward Afghanistan. Unfortunately, what we have seen in the last two years was countries adopting different policies that, hey, this is the culture of the Afghan people, let them be how it is, and we cannot do anything about it. Do, do you envisage, do you envisage that the acknowledgement of gender apartheid in Afghanistan might result in similar sorts of sanctions and boycotts that led to the the downfall of the uh, of the South African regime. Absolutely, Philip. If you see the conflict in Afghanistan, war was never won in Afghanistan through the battlefield. 
through bomb and bullets. It was always it was always won by narratives, just like the Taliban took over in August um, 2021. Because of the U.S.-Taliban agreement, the deal that was made, it interpreted to the local people that Western forces are withdrawing. Um, no matter what, how how long you fight, the Taliban are going to come on top. Here, it is very, very critical on the situation on the ground that the international community adopt a similar language, a framework or a, a narrative that condemns the Taliban regime and also uh, protects and also centralize women and girls of Afghanistan. And that, but you, that, that you, look, but fact, you, you take an even firmer line here. You argue, or you seem to be arguing, that we shouldn't be uh, negotiating with the Taliban at all. You're against engagement with them. Philip, we know the Taliban for how many years now? Since 1995, uh, almost three decades. We know the Taliban. Look back, I, I'm a student of diplomacy. I've been studying the Taliban's diplomatic uh, negotiation skills very closely. The Taliban are using diplomacy to deceive. Therefore, um, engagement has not worked. How how long are we going to adopt to engagement? What has the international community achieved in the last two years from engaging with the Taliban? They are not. They are Taliban. Let's 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 look at things from the Taliban's perspective. They are an extremist ideology who came to power using their ideological narrative. Why would they allow girls to go to school today when they spent twenty years blowing them up? Why no. would they open girls' education, girls' school, when they know that U.S. and the international community is still sending them $40 million a week uh, to spend in the country? I'm, enti are, look, I'm entirely, entirely persuaded by these arguments. But you, you take it to the point that you're against reinstatement of diplomats, the UN, or rather the US seems interested in starting steps towards recognition, but you are totally opposed to this. Absolutely. Look, recognition has, the Taliban are desperate for recognition, and what that's what the people of Afghanistan have been, have been calling that recognition would, would uh, make a rotten compromise with the Taliban that would, that would help the Taliban to endure its regime. How would the international community recognize a regime that is instituting gender apartheid in a country? And, and what has the Taliban shown to give us the signal or to show us that they are reforming or they are changing and we are hopeful about it? Look, I just want to raise one more point that the way in which the Taliban are looked upon is that that's the last solution for Afghanistan. No, it is not. Afghanistan is 40 million diverse population. Different actors, different people live in that country. And and in just in my own lifetime, in the last um, 30 years, five regimes have emerged and collapsed. And the Taliban is not the end of it. And here we are asking the international community to know this fact that Taliban is not our last chapter. There are alternative, and the alternative is to look at the people of Afghanistan. Even with the humanitarian aid, it's, it should not go to the Taliban. It should go to the grassroots organization that are operating inside the country right now, and they are more, much more effective than the so-called large-scale international 
international humanitarian organization because they are they are abiding to the Taliban rule. They are abiding and giving most of this aid money will go to the Taliban armed forces. And it has been proven in the reports that emerged in the last two years. Sorry, I've got we've got to conclude. But thank you very much for your account of what's going on and uh, for your strange optimism. I've been talking to Farunda Akbari, postdoctoral research fellow, Gender, Peace and Security Centre at Monash. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.